hey, how's it going? Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. So uh, we've never actually met, which is super interesting. Um, That's right. Actually, you'd be surprised how many guests uh, that come on this uh, I haven't met before, which is pretty cool. Um, with that being said, uh, this is going to be the start of season four uh, of An Untold Narrative, episode 26. Um, so thanks for uh, joining us. Um, I'm going to try to do something a little different. The previous seasons I had the, uh, the guests introduce themselves, but this, this season I figured I'd try something different and give an introduction based on what my perception is, <laughs> and then you correct me if I'm wrong. Cool. That sounds, right. that sounds like a lot of fun. So in episode 26, we have uh, Dominic Dina. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. He is a footwear designer extraordinaire. Um, I know him from the infancy of Instagram and footwear design community. Uh, that's where I first heard your name uh, and have followed along uh, through the internet since then. And you are currently uh, a footwear designer at Puma. Yeah, you got the extraordinaire part I take and a little bit un uncomfortable with, but the rest <laughs> of you got, um, oh, yeah. yeah. So that was something, and we initially got in touch because I was listening to your uh, interview with Mike Sturge and my name came up That's right. talking about uh, just both having seen me around, I guess it was in 2012 was when I started posting to Instagram. So it was probably not long after that. Yeah, that's, that's wild. So first and foremost, thank you for listening, right? I think uh, yeah. anytime somebody tells me that they listen and I don't know that they listen, I'm like, oh, that's so weird. <laughs> well, I think it's fun. There were a few names like Mike Sturge, Chris Dixon, guys who I felt like I knew but obviously that's just like scratching the surface with my own relationship with them. So being able to kind of, it's a little bit of a deeper dive when someone else takes an hour out of their day. And I think that, like, spe that speaks volumes to like the footwear design community, right? Especially like the platform of Instagram. And before that, you know, in past, cause we've talked about like Behance or Behance or however you pronounce it. Um, and you build up like followings that way. Uh, and I've mentioned this in the past. Like, I really think that, uh, Behance could have been Instagram if they were like future thinking because there's already a design community inbuilt. They just didn't have the accessibility and the quickness to like connect with people. Um, well, they also didn't have an, like a, a mobile app that was right engaging really in any way. But that's what I'm saying. But it was it was there before Instagram. Right. Well, that and before that was a uh, Coraflot, but right. Coraflot I haven't really thought about now in like six years until I just said it. And you probably still work on it. <laughs> that's a good point. I should go check. I'm sure it's like stuff I'm embarrassed of and don't want people to see. Um, but do you remember even before that Kicks Guide by any chance? Kicks Guide? No, I don't. So I was late to the party with Kicks Guide, but um, I think in 2000, maybe eight or nine, when I was first starting to like realize footwear design was something I wanted to pursue, um, when I Googled, I would look up, footwear design like how to do it it only really ever led to kicks guide it was just this weird kind of blog that had turned into i guess like a, a chat room or a, a board a message board for people who were sure. posting footwear designs and like giving each other feedback um but when i found it it was like a ghost town it was just these posts that had been posted months or years and years before there was no real action on there but i was be able to see like other designers post their work and get feedback then post another iteration of their work, get feedback. That's so awesome. for, at the beginning of my kind of like journey in footwear design, just like picking up the corpse of Kicks Guide was 
my Behance or Instagram. Well, that, that, you know, you, thanks for doing that and just like leading the discussion that way. Um, I don't really, I try not to have an agenda with, with people who come on here and we just kind of shoot the shit and, and, and talk, but I do like to have people travel back in time so they can kind of recollect of like, first and foremost, like where, where are you from? Where were you born? Where, where did you grow up? Where'd you go to college? How'd you find footwear design? It's such a unique niche right? Mm -hmm. That today it's a lot easier to get into because everyone's a footwear designer online. You just draw or render or Photoshop, you know, collide different shoes and you're a designer allegedly. So, you know, what's your background into it? So like the first three or four questions you asked were all like, where were you born? Where are you from? Where did yeah. you go to school? Illinois is the answer to all those things. Um, <laughs> I didn't really do a whole lot as far as like leaving Illinois. Um, until college. No, actually midway through college. But okay. uh, yeah, so I'm from a small town just west of Chicago. Um, I'm going to mute myself really quick and clear my throat. So I'm from a small-ish town west of Chicago. Um, and I was really fortunate that my parents were like very in touch with like what I was interested in, whether or not I was aware of what I was interested in. They saw like what I was drawn to. So they saw from an early age, I was more interested in creative pursuits. Um, even though I would insist that I was interested in sports, I was interested in like that kind of stuff. They'd still sign me up for art classes. And uh, I went to a Montessori school for kindergarten, which meant like you kind of picked what you wanted to study. Um, okay. And for kindergarten, like it's whatever, cause it's kindergarten, like who cares? <laughs> um, and so I had friends who were like really into like reading or counting and my thing was making stuff for other kids. Like, so preparing lunches or making paper airplanes for kids. Um, so I was very fortunate my parents saw that and would have me going to like art classes, museums all the time, like beautiful, um, we, in the Midwest, there's some beautiful Frank Lloyd Wright homes. So cool. getting tours of those kind of just expanding my creative horizons. Um, and then, I don't know, I was kind of all over the place as far as how I'd express my creativity. Um, and until junior high, I got really into cars and I read at one point an article that a few years later would be pretty important in like decision-making for me, but it was an article about Chevy's redesigned Camaro. And the team had a couple designers uh, who were like, uh, I guess, profiled for this piece. And one of them said they'd initially gone to school to be an architect. And instead they, they felt that scale was too big and they shrunk that down to focus more on something the size of an automobile. Um, and when I started high school, I knew I liked kind of making and I liked design. The only thing I really knew you could do with that was architecture. Uh, sure. So that was my plan, that was my goal. And then my sophomore year of high school, I was fortunate enough that we, they, my school offered an architecture elective. Um, and I almost immediately realized like, this isn't for me. I don't really like this. <laughs> um, but around that same time, I'd started drawing shoes on like all my notebooks, all my assignments. Um, because in this, this kind of came back to haunt me a little bit. My thought at the time was like, I want all these shoes. My parents won't buy them for me. I have no way of getting money to buy them for myself. So maybe if I get good enough at drawing them, a company will buy the designs and I can huh. negotiate like, Hey, maybe send me a free pair. Um, which like fast forward to today, I've gotten like four pairs of free shoes in my life. That's so, it? Well, I'm not sample size. So like. What I have size to use are you? A 13. Oh, okay. Well, well, that's a tough size. 
Yeah, and they don't really wear tests that size, <laughs> at least the places I've worked. Um, the few free pairs I've gotten were for like celebrities who didn't want them and they were just sitting around collecting dust. Nice. Um, but I guess where I had left off was in high school realizing architecture wasn't for me. I had been drawing shoes a lot, never really thought anything about that besides it's like a hobby. Um, but then I remember that article I'd read about shrinking down architectural like scale to automotive scale. Um, and I thought to maybe shrink it down even further and see if I could have a scale you hold in your hands being footwear as my medium. Um, and I started reaching out, this would have been my sophomore year of high school. So late 2008, early 2009. So I was on Kick's Guide, seeing some names on there and reached out to those people. Um, the guy who actually, say that again? You reached out directly to them? Yeah, I can't remember how I found people. I think I'd find their website and if they had a contact form or an email, I'd reach out through there. The only one to get back to me was, um, his name's Patrick. Oh no, you might have to edit this part out because I, I, it's important that I know his name, okay, but I can't think of it. Okay. Um, Patrick, I got it right now. So his name was Patrick Warren. Um, at the time he was at Skechers uh, and he okay. was kind enough to re like to respond. I just sent him a few, I was using Microsoft Paint at the time to like digitally render my sketches. Nice. So I sent him some like freehand sketches, some Microsoft Paint work. Um, and he was kind enough to respond and tell me like, if you want to pursue this path, go the industrial design route. A lot of people think, at least at the time, that fashion design was the way to go. And it really wasn't the kind of, at the time, at the time, it's different now. But at the time, it wasn't the kind of resume that hiring managers in footwear were picking up. They were looking at industrial design students. Um, so as a sophomore in high school, his feedback kind of guided me on, on a, a path of like taking design courses, like computer drafting courses, learning Illustrator and Photoshop with my high school electives, um, and then applying and then ultimately going to the University of Illinois for industrial design. That's, that's really amazing that like, I think back to my sophomore year of high school, like I was, a, I was an idiot, right? Like I, I, you're, you're, that, that thought process of, of reaching out at that age to try to figure out what you want to do with your life is wildly accelerated compared to others. I, I didn't realize that really. I didn't really appreciate that about myself until much right. later, but I had friends in college who were still figuring out what they wanted to major in. Right. Uh, and I was very lucky that I found something I was passionate about at an early age. The other side of that coin though, is I've been told from like day one, you're going to get sick of it. <laughs> um, and How'd that work out? you're just raising your middle finger to everybody. <laughs> well, actually, I mean, not really the, the result it had is a little bit sad or I just didn't tell people. I stopped showing people my work. Um, I only had a few close friends who I'd share my work with. There was a little while when I was in high school that there was a Facebook like footwear design group and I would send my work to the guy who like moderated the page and have him post it anonymously for me because I didn't want like my name attached to it. Really? Yeah, I was embarrassed. Like I, I would follow and also when I was in high school, Nike, Future Soul and Pencil yeah. became a thing. Um, I was too embarrassed to ever submit to that. That's wild. I guess so. I, I mean, I think I, I might have applied the last year that it happened. Um, what, what year did you graduate high school? 2011. That's okay, 2011. So that's that's a wild statement that you're you're embarrassed to do that, but 
to me, you're the, one of the first people to show, like highlight and be really good at showing like free flowing sketches on Instagram in the footwear design community. So I really appreciate that. And I wish I no issue doing that. <laughs> well, I wish I'd been more open younger and gotten that feedback sooner. Yeah. Um, Cause I would have been more like open, but it actually took until, so my freshman year of college happened and that summer I applied. So that summer was the second time I ever applied to like a pencil future soul program. Um, and I applied to a bunch. I think there were a number of different events in summer of 2012. Um, and I was fortunate enough to get into the future of footwear. Uh, and that was a class of 20 students who wound up being, a lot of them ended up getting placed within a few years at footwear companies. Um, a number of them I kept in touch with. And those are the people who had kind of encouraged me to get on Instagram and share my, share my work. Is that the first, first year of pencil or second? So I believe that was the first year, but I don't know. I think they had a class at the beginning of 2012. You, this is me trying to remember from eight yeah, years no, ago. Yeah, no, totally. Um, Not factual based for the listeners. <laughs> right. So I believe in early 2012, there was Pencil University of Oregon. And I believe that was a smaller class that was kind of Dwayne Edwards doing a proof of concept that this could work before he actually got a studio gotcha. space for Pencil. Um, and then that summer there was a pencil Adidas class earlier in the summer. And then I think that would have been uh, the month of June was pencil Adidas and the month of July was future of footwear. Um, I think that's right. But yes, I was fortunate to be part of the future of footwear group. Also fortunate enough that the way that one worked was a competition. So you were, there were five categories, each had four designers at the end of the month, you'd present your work to a panel of judges. Um, Nick DePaula, who at the time was at uh, Soul Collector, and now he's with ESPN. Right. Wilson Smith, um, one of the great Nike designers from the early days. I was, he gave me feedback after the presentation, and I was so starstruck that Wilson Smith is talking to me. I didn't hear a word he said. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's a pretty big regret because I would have loved to have known what he had. I no, would love to be able to recollect what he said to me. Right. But so we had the, the like we presented and then four for each category, there were two finalists who then had samples of their shoes made. And a month later we all met at, uh, I think it was the footwear news or no, the magic show. There was some big footwear trade show in Las Vegas. And then yep. we went there, pre like presented our work to whoever came around to our, uh, or like set up at the trade show. Uh, and then I unfortunately was, didn't win my category, but I was a finalist. So I got a sample made. I got a pretty good like dive into what footwear design is That's amazing. Um, at the age of 19. So, which also was very lucky for me because my design degree didn't really teach me anything directly relevant to footwear. So it's more of like the general skill set, like, I think about that too, like, because I, I graduated with an ID background as well. Mm -hmm. It's not so much the footwear design process that it taught me. It's more so of like the basics of Illustrator or like the basics of photo, like just like the general basics to cover all these different unique, uh, you know, putting together a presentation. Like these, like these core skills that like, if you don't do that education, that bachelor's degree, then you're probably going to have a harder time doing it in the real world. So, I mean, honestly, I think uh, an apprenticeship is a thousand times more valuable than a four-year degree. 
if you want the silly okay. desk because it's more focused. Gently. When I got to school, we were not going to be taught Illustrator, Photoshop, anything Adobe. We were expected to learn it. So I, my freshman year of college had to pivot from using Microsoft Paint and just rip the Band-Aid off over my holiday break and just make myself do everything in Illustrator with the line tool until I figure out how to use it. Where did um, you go to college? University of Illinois. Okay, we're not going to shit on University of Illinois, but they're teaching you the wrong things. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I kind of left with a sour taste in my mouth because I, I'll get to this part later, but I had another opportunity later in college to take part in like a pencil Adidas like sponsored class, but I would have had to have missed the first three weeks of my senior year. Um, and I had a professor tell me just to skip the semester because I was trying to like make myself more hireable and get something for my resume right to make uh, which i took umbrage with i felt that was really inappropriate of them to but i can get to that later um but so i guess the point i had just left off was that pencil class in 2012 gave me a foundation of, of what you need to learn what you need to get better at to be a footwear designer because before i had no expectation no understanding i was just trying to draw shoes and and figure it out right. myself that gave me kind of tracks to follow and then a group of uh friends and colleagues not really colleagues that's not the right word contemporaries people who are also aspiring footwear designers to share work with to kind of compete with um and that honestly people say networking is important for me that was the important networking was needing people to hold myself to their standard right. try to compete with them try to and i realized again years later that those people were the same people I was competing with for jobs. So when we'd be applying, we'd all be applying. Um, and I fortunately was looking at them and saying, how can I get as good if not better? Um, and it, I think paid off because I was able to improve a lot in college outside of school in right. my free time. And then, yeah. Um, should I just keep kind of going on this until we get to current day? Uh, yeah, of course. I, it's it's totally up to you. I think, you know, if, if you want to break from talking, I think it's it's really important. So we, on this show, we've now had three or four or maybe even five uh, pencil alum or people. Obviously, you know, Chris Dixon uh, still is very much active in the pencil world. Uh, I still love his interview on here. I think it, it, it was so awesome. Um, you know, I, I think back to the first or second year, um, in a future episode uh, teaser, but I'm trying to, uh, Sam Pierce, I don't know if you graduated the same class with him. He's at New Balance now. Uh, I know him, but we were not in pencil together. Okay, yeah, I think he was the first or second year, probably the other one uh, from yourself. And, um, you know, it's obviously such a staple and, and, and Dwayne Edwards is, is, uh, has done something truly remarkable uh, with the program. So you're hearing it from the horse's mouth that if you are a young person uh, in footwear design, then uh, definitely apply. I think that's, you know, at this point, it, it's, it's becoming more and more important. Um, and maybe the, you know, to your point, maybe the things in, uh, depending on where you're getting industrial design degree, it might not be as valuable. Right. I, yeah, I would definitely, anytime I get contacted by someone who's trying to get into this field or is trying to just get better at footwear design, um, I recommend pencil. It's the first thing I suggest is try to get into a class there. Um, and the second thing I think is equally as important, but pencil helps with this. If you can do it without pencil is find a network of other people who are trying to design shoes who are at about your level, maybe better, 
yeah. who you admire, but who would be willing to kind of get in touch with you. And so, so talk about um, because now we're in the in the sense of a, your life time frame in 2012 when you start sharing your work on on Instagram specifically. Like you're obviously building a community, a following of, of people who enjoy your drawings, who, who can appreciate them. Did you have people reach out? Did you have brands reach out? Did you know what was that like? Because what I remember was you're showing off all this amazing work. It's, you know, hitting the concept kicks world. It's doing, reaching all these blogs, things like that. And then there was a point in time where it just went dark <laughs> and you just like uh, completely disappeared from the online world. So two questions, right? One, the first is like, talk about the community and like, did people reach out, did brands reach out while you were still in college? And then, you know, to the, how did you lead up to the decision to, from going and showcasing all of your work to not doing that? So I guess that also reminded me of something when I was at that pencil, uh, like, I don't know what you'd call it, like your booth, your vestibule, whatever you call it, a trade show where your space is. Yeah. Um, Patrick Warren, the guy I reached out to at Skechers when I was in high school actually came through. I was able to meet him in person. Oh, shit. And it was pretty cool that like That's awesome. a moment in my life where I was able to take a step into like the right direction of being a footwear designer. I was able to see him and kind of like keep him in the loop. Um, and then months later when I was posting on Instagram, he was the only one from a brand who reached out just kind of to say what's up, acknowledge what I was doing um, and get in touch in case potentially the brand he was at could use my help for uh, some freelance work. Um, other than that, though, I had a lot of people who, like the, the, exactly what I was saying, was trying to network, find people who are similar to your skill set, learn from them, learn and grow together. I had people reach out, um, stay in touch with a few people. Like Mike Sturridge is how I met him in the early days of my posting on Instagram. Um, there were some people who reached out, asked me for advice on designing stuff, shared my feedback with them, and then they took it and posted it themselves. Like taking credit for like my work so I was less um, wait that happened eager. yeah I was I, I was showing someone had asked about um like what I do with a project after the sketch like what what happens next and so I had shared a project I was working on that was going to be a portfolio project uh and then they posted it as their own um and, and I wasn't able to have it as a portfolio project no they didn't um, swear to god yeah it was maybe 2013 or 14 do you know their name? I do. Yeah, I'm not gonna talk. I don't want to, because I. I they what were if very, I cut it out? Um, I'm gonna cut me. back in now. That's my. That's my cue. <laughs> cool. So yeah, I, it made me realize I couldn't be as forthcoming and helpful as I had been. I had to be a little bit more. I had to build kind of a relationship and trust people before I just like gave them files to learn from. That's yeah. That's um, there's there's definitely this this fine line and this balance these days um, of that. You know, there's an ongoing conversation. I was talking to Chris Dixon actually, and I'm not trying to steal his thunder by any means or, or shape. But there's he he shared a, a post a, a few weeks ago or, or, or months ago of like what's the difference between you know being inspired and copying, right? Like a very valid question this day and age where you're just seeing everybody's everything all the time. And what is the ter determining factors or, or guidelines of what separates one from the other? Now, this this instance is a little bit different, obviously. That's just like blatant taking your work and taking credit for it. But um, it's really interesting because even myself, um, I encountered this a, a few uh, 
months ago and it really got me thinking. And now granted, I'm years in, in and like, I saw something on Behance, uh, like a, a, a digital artist did something, right? And I'm like, oh cool, like I think I'm gonna paint that. Like that's so cool. And then I tried to remember who the artist was and I shared the work and I didn't know who the artist was and I totally would have gave credit. And then the artist reached out being like, what you saw was actually a copy of my work. I'm the original artist and you need to give me credit. And he got really upset at it. And I'm like, one, I didn't remember who I saw and they copied you. So how am I supposed to loop all three dots? And it just, it sheds so much light on you just don't know these days. And I felt really, really bad. I'm like, that was not my intention. One, I'm using a completely different medium. I'm not making money on this. Like, I didn't mean to steal your work by any way, shape or form. But it's the, the point being is like, it really like, now I think about it all the time. I'm like, what is that defining factor? Right. I don't know if I have an answer to that because I feel it's so important. There's only so many like new ideas. I mean, I, I mean, it's a common phrase that like, there's, there's no new ideas. Obviously, that's not true. You can think of something ridiculous. It's an insane tangent, string a bunch of nonsense words together that's new. But when it comes to designing footwear, creating something that there's only so many, like there's a finite number of materials, there's a finite number of processes we can use. Um, depending on the price point, there's not many processes you can use. Um, so it's just a matter of kind of like distilling the same ideas through a different, through your mind, through a different lens and trying to differentiate enough. So when I was at Reebok, I think one of the best, and I'm paraphrasing horribly because it was a few years ago, <laughs> one of the best lines I'd heard from Billy Marvin, who'd been designing at Reebok from like 1992 until maybe 2017, 2018. So he really kind of like was, he's had set the foundation for Reebok innovation for a long time. Um, he was, he said something about how we were talking about Stephen Smith because they had worked together briefly at Reebok. He was saying like, make no mistake, there's only been like five new ideas in the history of footwear, like five or six. Stephen Smith just happened to have two of them. Um, but that was an interesting way of thinking about it. We're like, yeah, there haven't been a ton of like real, real like industry changing innovations, like really wild new ideas. It's just kind of remixing the same formula that we already have. It's like the Taco Bell menu. Sure. It's the same like six things just repackaged differently. So yeah, it's really tough, especially in this field because anyone can claim anything is inspired by their work. Right. And it's just a matter of like, I don't know, knowing yourself, being proud of your work, doing the best you can do and trying to have as unique of a perspective as you can. So that being said, looping back full circle to where we started. So after that moment of somebody sharing your work on their behalf, mm -hmm. um, you decided to just stop doing it. Well, not stop doing it. I think I still kept posting for a little while after that, but I, I became more guarded with like mentoring or giving advice. Um, and this has been kind of, a, uh, I'm not going to say a lifelong, but so far, like in my career, it's been a career long issue I've had where I need to kind of pick my battles better because I love footwear. I love talking about it so much that I'll talk to anyone about it, um, which I don't know. I think I need to be more cognizant of where I'm using my time and where I'm spending my time. Definitely. I, 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 I'm in the same boat, right? Like I love, I will answer every DM or people on LinkedIn reach out all the time. 
somebody else literally sent me a message. I think it was on New Year's Eve or something like that. And was like, hey, do you want to talk next week? I'm like going to school like here and like I have any questions about footwear design. And I'm like, totally, no issue. Um, I'm always willing to have that conversation, but like you, I get a sense really quick of what their intent is, right? And I think that's the defining factor. Once you talk to somebody, you know how if they're authentic or not. And I mean, it's just a gut feeling for me. But um, I, but I, the, the 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 conversation of mentorship is also one that like doesn't get talked about enough. I never had any mentors. I try to do my best to help others because I hate how there are no mentors like in this field because it is so competitive, right? I think people are. Um, more guarded um, because there's only so many you call them numbers within every company and there's a lot more applicants so it, it is a it's a fine line you have to walk right well one other note i had that ties in with that also ties in with what we were saying about um i guess work theft and and being wary of like where you're posting who you're being influenced by Someone I was speaking with years ago, it, was, it wasn't really a mentor-mentee sort of thing. It was more like we were both trying to get into the industry. Um, this person had mentioned a few times, like not ever posting their best work on Instagram because they didn't want it stolen. Um, so we were talking once like through DMs and I was interested in like learning more about that perspective. Um, and I didn't understand really why I felt so against that like that that view that angle at the time but i understand it better now but the idea was like if you're not putting your best foot forward if people can't see your best work you're not going to get hired and i realize now like after working for uh, like reebok new balance and now puma people aren't seeing portfolios and being like oh that's cool we're going to steal that idea you're not as good as people who work at the companies you're just not like very few applicants have a portfolio that is better than the lowest level designer on the design team so to, to think that like you're gonna get your work stolen don't be foolish put your best work out there if you want to get hired show your best work to every company you apply to but i think there's something to, that nobody talks about is you know when you publicly share something it's also like has a time stamp associated to it so people can if you really wanted to you could tell where it originated from or if it's yours or theirs so that that's true but also i Again, this might not be totally true, what I'm about to say, but I'm pretty That's sure it's true. If you post a project and you put Nike branding on it, you, I believe, are giving them rights to use it. Because like you didn't ask for rights to use their logo. Oh. So if you're posting a Nike branded project to your Behance, tech, I, I don't, again, I'm not certain if this is entirely true, but when I was at Pencil, Dwayne Edwards would always caution against That's really doing too many projects Yeah, that are branded. I've never heard that. Well, another reason you're saying not to do too many branded projects is because it's not really a good luck to apply to Adidas with a Nike project in your portfolio. I mean, that's using your brain. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Um, yeah. So let's um, let let's talk about what was your first job out of college? You talked about you 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 just mentioned Reebok, New Balance, and now Puma, but was so Reebok was your first gig. That's so not really. Uh, and this will actually answer your question about why I stopped posting to Instagram. Oh, um, I, I would take breaks every now and then depending on how sure. busy and heavy my workload was at school because I would be kind of going through the motions for all my coursework and then in my free time doing um, 
like contract work, just personal projects, trying to figure out footwear design as best as I could. Um, and one of the, the kind of network connections I made while I was at Pencil in 2012, my friend T'Challa Fasante uh, out in Atlanta, he would get contract work. He was really good at networking, really good at kind of finding people who needed design work done. Um, and he would share some overflow projects with me. So throughout college, I was able to ship in, help him out with like different apparel designs, footwear designs. Um, so yeah, that was another great connection I made, but yeah. So when that stuff got too busy, I wouldn't be posting on Instagram. And then summer of 2014, my going into my senior year, I got an internship with Jim Lar, which is, um, you're from Jim Lar? Yeah, yeah, out of New York so, City. Out of New York, yeah, we, yeah. The office is actually in the Empire State Building. Which is yeah, that's, that's right, that's right. I've been there before. Yeah, well, what's cool about that, their floor has fry boots, their yeah. design studio. And so it smells like super rich, awesome, like saddle leather. It's, it's cool. Um, but so that was my first job. It was a 10-week internship. I was working on stuff for Zumba brand shoes. Um, no work that ever saw the light of day, but it was, again, <laughs> it was a way to dip my toes into the industry, get an idea of how the design process works in-house. Um, and then immediately after that, I applied and got into that pencil um, Adidas class. That was the one that beginning of my senior year, I had a professor tell me I could just take the semester off, um, which I wasn't gonna do. Uh, so I went to pencil again. This was just a little bit over two years after my initial pencil experience. Um, what was cool about this, it was 2014, but I was working on pro a, uh, like a super conceptual project for 2020 for the 2020 Olympics. Um, it wound up being kind of, I don't know, a, a ridiculous spaceship of a shoe. The idea was you dip it in like a quick drying, like rubber plastic material that would totally fill any gap between the foot and the shoe to limit like energy loss to friction during this super short sprint. Um, the project itself was kind of ridiculous. It wasn't going to happen, but it got reposted by Concept Kicks. It got some love on um, I think KPMG or whatever the trend forecasting site people use. Um, I think KPMG might be an accounting company, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, so that class was pretty pretty cool, just in that it was able to help me get my name out there a little bit. And I met uh, Xavier Jones. I'm not sure if you're familiar yeah. with Xavier. Yeah. So he and I uh, crossed paths for the first time there, and then so he was helpful in getting actually, my foot. In. I, I, uh, I met X. Uh, we, we spoke on a panel in Worcester, Mass., where I, where I currently live. Um, he knew a friend of a friend, um, really cool guy. And then, and then all of a sudden we spoke and then the, the following week, uh, I'm going out to dinner with Jeremy Saleh, uh, if that's how you pronounce his last name, I think it is, um, in Boston. And he's like, Oh, do you mind if my boy joins? And I'm like, sure. And it happens to be X again. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, what's up, man? And he's like, you guys know each other? I'm like, yeah, we just spoke on a panel together. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, Xavier's the best. Uh, I love Xavier. Um, Look at nice guy. So, yeah, then after that pencil class, I just had my senior year college. Nothing super crazy. Nothing to write home about. Just finished school, started applying for jobs, worked at a sports authority for a minute because I wanted, uh, I, it's something I've been thinking about since high school. I wanted insight on the end consumer. So thinking about where the product goes once it's well out of my hands. Um, in, in high school, I was always applying for like Foot Locker for our local shoe store in my hometown. Never would get those jobs. 
But then as soon as I had a college degree, they're like, cool, when can you start? Um, which whatever I was kind of annoyed by because like my college degree isn't relevant here. Um, but so, yeah, I got to work at a sports store for about three months selling shoes, talking about shoes all day, every day with people who actually wanted to hear about the shoes. Um, and then early 2016, I, interestingly enough, I was taking part in, I was interviewing with like three companies and I was taking part in the pencil. It was the first year they did world sneaker as like a bracket. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was one day where I had emailed Dwayne Edwards because myself and Austin Jamaicans were paired up against each other. And I felt that was unfair um, because like he and I were on different sides of the bracket and we got like re-aligned um, and he and I both had uh, like been in a pencil class together in 2012. I'm like, you're just doing this like so one of us knocks each other out. Um, and then like the same day that I was kind of like going back and forth with Dwayne, like jokingly about that bracket, um, I got a job offer from, I think it was called the Brown, H.H. Brown Shoe Company. Some, yeah, some H.H. Brown. H.H. Brown. And then I also got, so I told Dwayne that. And then like 20 minutes later, this recruiter who I think is at Facebook or Twitter now, but McEdward Laguerre, who yeah. was previously at Rio, called me and was like, hey, so that trip we'd been interviewing you for and then told you we were going to go in a different direction. Are you still interested? So doing that, he's like, cool, call me. There's enough going on. Like, I'll take a few minutes, like, talk through this with you. Right. Um, so I was faced with the choice of, do I take a full-time job at H.H. Brown or do I take an apprenticeship at Reebok? Um, and at the time, I also reached out to Xavier because he was an apprentice at Reebok at the time. Uh, he played, played a pretty big role in kind of convincing it that Reebok was the right choice that a year there and then reassessing what I want to do after that year uh, was the right move. So that's, that's so interesting because similarly, when I was, when I graduated college, I was also faced with two at the same time. It was, it was with Vibram and then it was with a a brand I'm not going to name. And I talked to somebody and their one key advice was like, the other brand was not similar, but like just different from like outdoor, like athletics or like anything that like I do as a person. And they're like, do you want to be part of a product that you could potentially use or do you want to be product uh, be part of a product that you're never going to use and it's just being s- just for the sake of sale and it was like and obviously i butchered that like advice but like it was really important because I, and i think it's similar right hh browns they're brown shoes they, they're work boots mm-hmm. they're you know tough they're you know but they're not athletic right well I got feedback actually from Patrick Warren, some of the first feedback I ever got in footwear, was telling me not to ever design for yourself. So you may play basketball. It'll be tempting to sketch and draw and design basketball shoes all day, every day. Um, but if you learn and you grow as a designer, if you put yourself in, in for lack of a better word, in the shoes of a different person, a different consumer. Um, so I get that thought process when I was choosing between H.H. Brown and, and the Reebok apprenticeship, I, it did cross my mind, but I'm like, but also I, I, it, it's just as beneficial to grow as a designer if I'm trying a type of footwear design that's totally uncomfortable to me because it'll force me to sink or swim to figure it out. Totally. Or just, yeah, have it not work out. But I'm happy I took the Reebok apprenticeship. I was there for a year, learned a ton, was able to work around some incredibly talented designers. Um, 
and yeah, so like the, I guess two big connections from there that really stuck, like who, who stayed close friends to this day, Xavier Jones, because I mean, I knew him in advance, uh, and Chris Hill. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, he does some of those amazing work. It looks like a team of five people do what he does, but it's just him. Um, so two guys, like I, incredible work ethic. It was amazing to kind of see what it takes to be a full-time designer at a high level. Um, and it made me realize like, I'm not ready. I'm not at that point yet. Mm-hmm. I don't have what these guys have. Um, I felt entitled to a role, um, didn't get one. It was a kind of a rude awakening for me. I realized like, okay, I just cause I put in the work to get there doesn't mean anyone should care, you know? Um, and I was lucky enough at the end of that year, um, I moved back to Chicago briefly, and then my friend Austin Jamaicans from the 2012 pencil class yeah. had reached out and said that their apprenticeship had an opening and was in, like curious if I was interested in coming over to New Balance to finish off like nine months of their one-year apprenticeship program. So packed my things back up, drove back out to Boston, well, technically Haverhill, Massachusetts. Um, shout out the Merrimack Valley for anyone listening up there. Um, and was able to kind of knowing how much growing I had to do really focus nine months on making myself as hireable as desirable of a designer as possible, you know? Right. So So that's, so you went straight from basically a Reebok apprenticeship to a New Balance apprenticeship. That's right. Yeah. There was a, I think it was maybe two months between, but it was, yeah. I mean, two months isn't that big much time. What, um, and then what happened after that? Um, well, nothing really. So, uh, I spent, I, until the, I think it would have been, what was it? 2018 would have been the summer of 2018 was when my New Balance apprenticeship ended. Okay. Um, I was really fortunate that when I was at New Balance, I came into a team that was short two designers. Um, and I had just come off an apprenticeship somewhere else. So they figured I didn't have a whole lot much of a learning curve so they threw me projects again it was sink or swim I had to figure out how to do like new uppers um for like kids for adults to kind of work on uh core price point projects um because I didn't have the kind of experience I think they might have thought I did coming out of Reebok um but it was great it was a lot of learn by doing which is something I'm like very comfortable with because that was Pencil's whole motto was get your hands dirty and figure it out. Right. Um, so I got to do, I got to touch a ton of projects, learn a bunch at New Balance. I think the only shoe for my time there that came out, as far as I know, is the, uh, I think it's the 950, which is the umpire shoe. And that's on their website now. It's on the feet of all the umpires in the MLB. That's kind cool. of exciting. It was a project that I think is not very popular. People don't only really want to do that project, but I was the apprentice who'd be listening to baseball games while I was working. So, um, but like, if he will listen to a radio broadcast, like a 60 year old, then he'll probably think it's fun to do an umpire shoot. And that's write. hilarious. Um, so yeah, great experience. Got a lot, got to do a lot of work, um, at New Balance. And towards the end of my New Balance apprenticeship, I started talking with, uh, this guy, John Delin, who's a, um, well, an aspiring, like entrepreneur in a footwear company to do some contract work for him. So for about a year. Um, really is between like the end of New Balance and the beginning of my time at Puma. He and I were working on some design work for the brand he was starting. Um, 
and he's an amazing, he, he learned how to be a developer himself. Like he flew to China to the factory, spent a few weeks there and figured out how to develop footwear. Like really wow. impressive guy. Um, and then, so I think it was June was when I finished, June 2018 was when I finished my time at New Balance. Um, the time I was talking to Puma, I had a couple interviews in August of 2018. And then they told me that they were going in a different direction. So I spent that fall applying, interviewing. And then around that time was when I started posting on Instagram again. So I didn't really post at all when I was at Reebok. And then once I left Reebok, I started posting things like selections of my work from my time there. And then didn't really post anything while I was at New Balance. And then I think I posted a few things after that, but went dark again while I was interviewing and applying around. And <clears throat> I think it was early 2019, uh, I saw Puma reposted the job that I'd been interviewing for the previous summer, reached out for that, had a couple interviews. Um, and then around the same time, Jeremy Solly was doing his Achilles series iPad sketches. Um, and I was frustrated that he was th at the level of like how good he was at drawing on the iPad. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm not really doing a whole lot right now besides applying for jobs. So I'm going to try to get as good as I can get at drawing on the iPad. And so I think I posted like four or five iPad sketches where I would spend a lot of time just like making them look exactly how my sketches would look on paper. So like blue line under drawing and then like a micron layer and then a gray base and then just color hits. Um, and I got an email from the hiring manager at Puma who was like, yeah, man, like a, it was great talking to you. It's funny, like I happened to be on Instagram and saw a couple of your posts. Like, I just like, I felt like it was- uh, Were they Puma branded? A couple of them were. I think the ones he saw um, must've been, but he was like, yes, yeah, so I just saw those. I felt like that would be a good thing to include in your portfolio. Do you want to like send me over like some more of your like most recent work? Cause I think at the time they only had what I'd sent in the previous what, August. What was, Sorry to interrupt, but like, what do you think about those iPad or digital sketches? Did you not have digital sketches before? Or like, what was it about those that kind of caught his eye? Well, I think it was that he may have been looking at a couple applicants and my name just popped up again. Okay. Um, I don't know if it was anything in particular about those being okay, like I got you. the greatest thing, but he just felt like, oh, like you have new work, let's see it. Um, and it just felt almost like that was what was the straw that broke the camel's back to use a phrase that doesn't make sense here. Um, but that was what kind of like tipped it over the edge that got me the job maybe. Uh, so I was very fortunate early in 2019 to receive a job offer, uh, job offer to be designer two at Puma. And is um, that, is that under Jeremy's team or no? No. So Jeremy's uh, hoops um, and the team I'm on is sports style. Okay. So sports style is a pretty huge umbrella. Um, I think we, we account for a little bit over half of Puma's business. Wow. Um, and there's design offices for sports style. The main one is in Herzo in Germany. Right. And there's also in, in Vietnam. And then my team was like a new team in Boston. Cool. So when I started, it was, it's four designers and we all started at once in the, in the new, new temporary office in downtown Boston. And I was, from the start, like kind of, I don't know, very lucky to be involved in a team where we are kind of creating our own destiny, creating our own approach to design for North America. 
because the goal was we just need to make shoes that sell better in North America than they currently do. Because we, what we make now is for our world market where- Pretty simple uh, goal, clear, <laughs> Yeah. Because <laughs> what was happening was the team in Germany would design for the world market. The world market would largely be cool with it. And North America is like, none of this works for us. Yeah. So it would all have to be- segment. Exactly, it would all have to be redesigned um, on a shorter timeline anyways. So they just brought in a new team. That's entire, uh, our entire function was quick to market North America specific projects, um, which is perfect because I've been a student of North American footwear since I was a kid. Um, That's awesome. In, like in high school, my friends and I would on the weekends take the train into the city, go to thrift stores, go to sneaker boutiques, St. Alfred in Chicago, play at a pretty big role in like forming my idea of like streetwear and fashion at a young age. So uh, yeah, I was very, very fortunate to be put in a position where I was able to kind of draw on my own personal experiences and do something I was expecting from day one, I would never be able to do. So which is in a way designed for myself. Well, I, literally you just said it. I was just about to ask you like, do you think that today you're just designing for yourself? So sort of, and that, that was actually, so Xavier and I were talking yesterday um, about an idea that he, I guess he's been kind of like burning on for a little while, that as designers age, you, you're obviously learning more. Do you get better or do you get worse? Because it's not, there's not a direct correlation between being in this, like a footwear center for longer and actually being more in touch with consumers. If anything, you're more out of touch with consumers, you're more knowledgeable on how to make product. Sure. Uh, and also, as you get older, there's a lot more people where it becomes a job where you're kind of punching the clock. Um, and then it doesn't matter how good you are at designing a shoe. Like if you're phoning it in, it's not going to be a valuable product. Um, it's, a, it but, is a, it's a really interesting conversation because uh, I think about that all the time. And I guess it, it comes down to a core question of like, what do you want? Right. Like, do you want to be a designer for the rest of your life and be really good at that? Or do you want to like grow? Obviously, these corporate these corporations have this ladder structure of like, you know, junior designer, designer one, designer two, this senior designer, blah, 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 all the way up, right? Now, do people after 16, 20, 27 years want to still be a designer? It's well, all you, like what that person wants, right? Sort of. It's tough though in footwear because when you look around a design studio at any major brand, how many people are there over... 40. How many are there over 45? How many are there over 50? Not many. Design is a young, a young person's game for the most part. And if you want to stick around, you have to find your way into a position either outside of the creative side, or you have to hope that you're one of the, the lucky, brave few who starts at the bottom rung of that ladder. And it's more like a pyramid than it is a ladder because we're not all sticking around climbing. Like people are like dropping off the higher you get. Um, so it's, it's a pretty, I don't know, it, it, it's that way anywhere, honestly, but it seems especially in design that it's very valuable to have a young designer who's more in touch with our consumer who at the end of the day is ultimately a 17 year old kid who shops at the mall. We, it's, and it's hard to be in touch with that guy when you're twice his age. Well, then you don't know? you think that the person who's, who's twice their age is just not doing themselves enough diligence of being in touch with the core consumer? Yes and no. I, I think it just, it, it's impossible at some, in some ways to still be able to relate to that person though. 
because hmm. it's just it's tough once you're paying taxes once you're more like cynical and jaded or once you're more like, <laughs> focused on well, but also like if you think like once you like own a home and you have kids like there's more important things in your life sure than than trying to i don't know track what's trendy on instagram or like figure out how to use the new app that our target consumer is enamored with but dude i me, fucking I, love tiktok i'm all about yeah it. i'm i'm not i'm 29 years old i already know that I fucking love that app. I'm all yeah, about TikTok it. That's where everybody's attention is. To your, to your point, I need to learn what those motherfuckers want. Mm -hmm. their, their attention is there, and it's my responsibility. Well, person, like internally, I'm like it's my responsibility to figure out how to get into that. Right. So, I, I I would like to say that you would ask them now if I'm designing for myself. I'd like to say no because I'm I'm designing for that 17 year old. I'm designing okay. for that person who's walking into the mall after saving up a few weeks with a hundred and something dollars, they're going to buy a pair of shoes, might buy a new shirt. How do we get their attention when they're in the mall? Because when you're on Instagram, you're scrolling past a hundred and several hundred shoes. How do you make your shoe stand out? So when they go to the mall with their money, that's the shoe they want to get. Yeah. Or how do you make a kid who, if we're being honest, they're walking into Foot Locker to buy Nikes. Yeah. How do we make them see Puma and change their mind? Um, so I'm designing for myself in that I have a standard I hold myself to. Um, but other than that, I have to be designing for the person who's going to ultimately take their hard-earned money. That's fair. And make the decision where they spend it. What, um, what do you think, uh, in light of the past couple of conversations, like what do you think separates you as a designer or a creative, like how do you stay ahead of the game? Just very generic advice if you could give somebody, like what do you think separates yourself from all the other applicants, for example? Like, do you think it's a, it's a mixture of luck, talent, you know, you know, things falling in line? What, what, do you, what do you think that, like if you could core it down to like one or two things? Well, luck is definitely involved, but it's not really worth talking about because like how can you prepare for luck? It's a matter of 100 plus people are gonna apply to any footwear job that's posted and then that has to be filtered through hr's like uh, usually automated filtering system um and then you'll get a pdf of resumes or sorry i'll, I'll get a pdf of resumes um and so it, it, it it's it's can be unlucky i could accidentally scroll past yours it could be unlucky you get filtered out for something that has nothing to do with how good you are um so luck definitely plays a role but you can make yourself you can position yourself to have the luck make less of a difference through networking through reaching out to people and then through making yourself as good as possible um and that can mean any number of things but when you're coming out of college usually as good as possible means like you can draw really well your illustrator line art is really clean and hopefully you've been in a position where you can make some prototypes um then once you have experience like coming out of another company showing how good you are showing how well you can make like a core price point shoe look valuable how well you can it doesn't matter they don't care people don't really care about your sketches they care more about your thought process and how you can get a novel interesting construction um in a very short timeline that you can be fairly certain will work it won't be a big expensive uh like a big expensive like hiccup for the factory that they're going to not want to do right. when you scale it up to mass produce so 
it's tough because it's hard to know exactly when you're applying fresh out of college how to make yourself as hireable as possible. Um, but once you have are lucky enough to have your foot in the door somewhere, it's a matter of kind of looking around and seeing what people, like I mentioned, like Chris Hill, Xavier Jones, when I was at New Balance, guys like Austin Jamaicans, Matt Shoto, Seth Maxwell was at Reebok, and then he was at New Balance as well. That's, so that's the man. He's going to come on one day. <laughs> you you got to get all – everyone that I mentioned, you got to try to get. Like, I don't think you've had – X is somebody who's been on my, my back. I have a list of my notes app of people, like, and guests, that, like, from around the globe. It's just – over the years, you just know so many people, and it's like right. – I don't want it to only be footwear design. Like, I, I like having photographers, videographers, like, people from weird backgrounds. Um, so I try to, like – space it out of like not just footwear design all the time <laughs> right i guess that's 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 fair i'm biased i think footwear design is the most interesting thing so i want to <laughs> um but so what i was saying though is so you look around at, at when when you are fortunate enough to have an opportunity to be an intern or apprentice at a brand look at people who are full-time who are working there who you admire and try to figure out what they have in common you know like it's almost always work ethic and it's almost always that they're it's hard necessarily to see unless you're looking for it. They're smart. Like they're design kids, but they're smart. But they're not like the, I don't know, the burnout art kid in high school. They're, Matt Choto dropped out of law school and switched to industrial design. Like he's a very intelligent man. That's why. Who happens to design shoes. Like, so there, I guess you, you look at what those people are doing and try to think, how can I be as, as like them as possible? And that I think is usually the answer about how to make yourself as hireable as possible. Super so. great advice. Um, finally, we, we've been chatting for about an hour now, which is remarkable. Um, so thank you for your time. Uh, what's, do you think about the future? Like in, in what kind of bracketology for your like personal goals? Like what, can you speak on like some things that you, you look forward to doing or accomplishing? I mean, obviously we just wrapped up 2020, which is, uh, I think both you and I sitting here, we're fortunate to still have jobs after the last year. Um, it's something I right. think about and reflect on uh, a lot um, and I'm grateful for what's something moving into 21 and then also in the future, like what are some personal goals of yours or, or things that you're trying out for yourself? Sure. Well, I'll share a little more advice that I think is related to this. Cool. Um, one thing I told my most recent apprentice who actually we recently hired full-time, Jeff Shen, um, super excited to have him on the team. Um, but I told him kind of early in his apprenticeship, like to look around and figure out what needs to be done um, as like a team, as a larger team, and then figure out what isn't being done and do it yourself. Um, because as a temporary employee, that's how you make your presence felt and, and almost it makes you an, a necessary part of the team. Um, and when I started at Puma, I had a goal. I started as a designer too. I had a goal of, I think within three years, being a senior designer. So I immediately started taking steps to kind of position myself uh, to do that. So I asked to take on the internship apprenticeship program. Um, so like recruiting, interviewing, hiring, and then mentoring our interns and then apprentices. Um, and I was fortunate enough that within the first nine months at Puma, I was taken aside by my manager in Germany and told I, would, I was being promoted to senior. So I kind of hit that goal pretty early, a little bit earlier than I was Congratulations. So that's recent. Thank you. Yeah, well, about a year ago now. But um, okay. so I guess, yeah, so I had set a number of goals. Um, 
that were involved, like that all kind of surround around like making myself clearly capable of like mentoring, leading, taking on responsibility. Um, so I guess goals for the future of 2021 into the future is to continue to play as big of a role as I can shaping the team I'm on to continue growing in North America, to continue creating excitement with our accounts about the type of product that we're going to bring to them. Um, I would, I would say a longer term goal, something I'm passionate about is, uh, well, it's hard to, I don't want to say domestic manufacturing because that sounds like U.S. manufacturing, but I mean like domestic manufacturing in that we decentralize from like really almost everything is being made in Asia. And we kind of had to deal with in March and April, not being able to source from places that we typically had sourced from. Sure. And that created a pretty huge headache. Um, so I would like to see in the next couple of decades, I'd like to play a role in the next couple of decades in trying to figure out how we can manufacture at a different scale, a smaller scale, but using more regionally sourced materials, more regionally, I guess, regional talent as far as like people who are manufacturing or developing pattern engineering um, and kind of making footwear design and creation when when we get back thing. when we get back to in-person things i'm if you're if you're actually really interested i'd be more than happy to show you our factory in north brookfield massachusetts where we manufacture I would love to. for the military yeah i would love to see that yeah um, I, think, I think that that'd be your first easy check mark <laughs> for sure because i think when i was in 2012 i was fortunate enough to get a tour of the danner boots factory yeah which is um, sick but it was also eye-opening to see, like, okay, well, when it's manufactured here, the shoe costs four hundred dollars. So <laughs> <laughs> well, that that conversation as a whole, you know, it's it's funny. It's lost some steam that conversation. A couple of years ago, there was like, you know, Under Armour was building their their their, their buying factories. Uh, other brands were doing this. You know, Nike's like, oh, this is a diesel buying a speed factory. All these things are they're like domestic manufacturing. In, in five years, we're going to be doing this. People don't realize how freaking hard it is, and how expensive it is and how lack of knowledge and skill set there is domestically. It's not necessarily uh, the space or the factory itself. The, 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 you can buy space, you can build things, you can import machinery. It's the know-how and the skill set that exists outside of here. Well, it's also tough because if you were to make factories to manufacture footwear here, you'd have to then using massive tankers ship all the raw materials you need still from Asia is almost all of the uh, yeah. field manufacturing and supplying materials. It's not impossible. It's not impossible. It's just very difficult. R right. And so I guess what I'm saying, a, a shift I would like to see is kind of maybe starting in Central or South America because there's already factories there and maybe right. expanding out over a number of decades. Because, yeah, it's not easy. It's going to be a slow process. But I think it's necessary because right now footwear design is – centralized to a few cities for manufacturing is centralized to a few countries um but where consumption is spread around the entire globe yeah it's been um, a lot of stuff yeah no so on, on that note uh we'll wrap up i mean do you want to leave anything with that, uh, any you know tips or anything like that for anybody else uh as we wrap up um uh, i i can summarize i think what i think are the important key takeaways um and one of them is always finding, if you want to do this, be a footwear designer or be any kind of designer or creator, creative, find people who are on the same path as you 
in a comparable position on that path um, and make a little network, uh, kind of push each other, grow together, um, but also always continue to look for people who are better than you, who you admire to, again, try to get in contact with or to hold yourself to their standard. Um, one of my favorite lines is like, don't do your best. I don't care about your best. Do my best. Um, hmm. I think that was paraphrasing something Dwayne Edwards said. He was like, I don't care about your best. I'm not impressed by your best. Like, he, he wants you to try your, to do what he expects, a standard of excellence that he expects. Uh, and again, I'm paraphrasing. I think I made him sound like a jerk. But the idea is if you want to get better, hold yourself to someone else's standard until you're as good as them. And then find someone else who's better. I think that's really fair. <laughs> and, and with Instagram, with uh, Behance, with people sharing their work and concept kicks, you're getting deep dives into projects that they're curating. It's easier than ever to learn how to do this. Um, but if anything, it's also harder than ever to get an opportunity in the industry. So it's so important to see what others are doing uh, and try to be as good as you can be to make yourself stand out. Well, on, on that note, uh, thanks for uh, sh sharing your time uh, on this Sunday. Uh, do you Thank go by you Dom so or much. Dominic? Whatever's easier. I introduce myself as Dominic because if I say Dom, people hear Tom or Don. Um, so I introduce myself as Dominic, and then you can kind of gotcha. make the decision yourself. I was going to – this is something, like, totally, like, random, but, like, I was going to ask you, like, do you think it's – it plays a role having a unique name. Like Dominic Dina is a very unique name. It's not something that you hear very often or frequently. I think about this for myself, right? right? Like my last name is super unique. I know there's only like three people in the United States who have my last name. Really? Yeah, like outside of my family, obviously. Yeah, I figured. Um, but like, I think about that. I don't know, these are, this is how my brain operates. I'm like, I bet it's played some sort of role, right? Like where people just like remember it easier. So I... Again, same way in high school, wouldn't share my work. I was embarrassed of my, not embarrassed of my name. I don't want, that's extreme. But I was like, I didn't, wasn't crazy about my name. I thought it was kind of cumbersome. A lot of syllables in the first name and then really short last name. Felt it was weird. I didn't like the, the alliteration. I didn't like that. None of the letters, the, the Ds go above the middle line. If you like how you used to graph letters when you were a kid. You sure. There was a bottom line, top line, middle line. Besides the D's, none of the letters go above or below the middle line. And the D, the first initials are both D's. So signing my name as a kid was always like annoying. All my friends had like J's and like swoopy F's. And I was like D line, D line. Um, it took until I actually was at Reebok and people were starting, started commenting on like recognizing my name from Instagram, like remembering it or thinking it was a cool name. Um, I never had even considered it a cool name until I got into the industry and had people tell me that. So I appreciate um, you mentioning that part. Dude, I, it's, these are the things that like any, uh, it's to your, similar to your last comment. It's like, how do you separate yourself from the thousands of other people? And if it's your last name and that helps you out, highlight that, use that as an asset, so. right? Well, also another important thing though, if you don't have a name, that's like, I don't know, novel or unique. It, still go by your real name it doesn't help you if your instagram handle is something silly and then your resume has a, your actual name on it because people are agree with you. well dude think think about it we'll summarize it with this last point michael jordan and michael b jordan are completely different really powerful people in different industries with the same name 
He put right. a fucking B in the middle of Michael and Jordan. Think about that. Like, it's possible. I guess so. <laughs> but who knows? I don't want people to think that you can then take my name and put a middle initial in. I'm not comparing myself to Michael Jordan. <laughs> no, but I'm but saying... I'm just, don't call I'm yourself Eric F. Avar. Like, yeah, even if you have a, a very popular name or, you know, don't, don't say that. I didn't want to bring up the conversation of like, you need a unique name. Um, but, but like anything's possible, just how you right. position yourself, I guess is definitely. a point. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> anyway, that was a real tangent off of, off of everything, but uh, thanks, no, man. I really fun. appreciate this. Um, well, thank you so much for reaching out and inviting me on. It was great <laughs> to talk about myself for a little while. <laughs> well, that's the point. I don't know how much you've, you, you know, you've obviously listened to some episodes, but that's the point. Like, I don't, you know, you hear these podcasts these days and they're all like really famous people or people with huge following or like people have made it, quote unquote, made it, right? Mm -hmm. There's so many people with really incredible stories on the ground floor as we sit that are putting in the work and have never had the opportunity to share their story. Right. So yeah, I, this is I, the first time I've ever gotten to kind of talk through it on record. That's the goal, baby. <laughs> cool. Yeah, well, yeah, no, thank you so much for giving me the platform. I appreciate it, man. We'll talk super soon, all right? For sure. Have a good day. <laughs> Cheers.